Good morning and welcome again. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much for gathering to worship the Lord together with us today. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Job, chapter 42. If you want to go ahead and be turning there, let me give you just a couple of other announcements. I want to remind you that next Sunday we are trying to have a, an emphasis on life groups next Sunday. So, um, and, and by that emphasis, we want you to do is show up. So if, if you are involved in a life group, we, we ask to make next Sunday a priority to be here. If you're not plugged into a life group yet, see Pastor Kevin afterward or maybe just grab somebody near you. If you've got a friend here, just say, hey, where do you go to life group? I'd like to visit and you can visit next Sunday. And if you don't like that one, you can visit another one the next week. Okay, we won't make you stay. But we're trying to get uh, kind of a feel for where we are. Let me give you some, some neat things. Last Sunday was a Memorial Day weekend and last Sunday was the highest attended life group that we've had in the entire year. And so um, there were more of y'all here last Sunday during life groups than at any other time all year long. So those are kind of neat things that are taking place. And we just want to get a feel for what it looks like. Also, next Sunday, uh, we'll be having a vote um, from you guys about whether or not to move forward with, uh, with this vision that's been presented to the church. Now, I want to remind you, you're not voting to spend any money. We're voting to say, hey... Uh, we believe that these are things that need to be addressed. Somebody said to me, Craig, how in the world could somebody vote against it? All right, so I'm sorry if I made it overly broad, right? We know that everybody wants to reach Jesus or, or reach people for Jesus. So that's not what we're saying. We're just saying uh, we, we want your, your, your blessing if we're going to move forward and put together a team uh, to, to examine those things and find a way forward. So uh, we will be having that vote next Sunday morning. So please make plans to be with us uh, for life group and for worship for those things. You can see the other things listed there in your bullets. And of course, Vacation Bible School is around the corner and all the other stuff. All right. Hopefully you've had time to make it to the book of Job. Maybe you'll be like somebody in our life group this morning looking all over their Bible for Job only to realize that they had their fingers stuck in Job the entire time. All right. Job chapter 42. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to read Job uh, 42 verses 1 through 6. Here now, for this is the word of God. I, I do want to remind you, this is God's word. This is not the creation of any man. This is not a work of fiction. This is holy scripture that God has, has had recorded for his glory and our good and for the good of those all across the world. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray together one more time. Father God in heaven, we praise you, for you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And Father God, this morning, if we see nothing else, I pray, Lord God, that we would see a God who fights for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Just in time for my sermon, everything just crashed right up here. This is what I get for doing notes electronically, huh? So y'all got me trained on doing my, my, my iPad notes when the wind was blowing all my notes across the parking lot. All right, hopefully that'll catch back up, and if not, we'll hope for the best. Uh, today marks the anniversary 
of D-Day. 77 years ago today, more than 150,000 troops invaded the beaches of Normandy. In that moment, there was victory. There were heavy casualties on both sides, but in the victory that came about at Normandy, we know that ultimate victory in Europe wouldn't come till VE Day 11 months later, but for all intents and purposes, the, bra- the, the back of Nazi Germany was broken with the successful invasion of Normandy and the carrying out of Operation Overlord across France. This morning we're looking at a passage of Scripture, a God who fights for us. We look back at Normandy, we look back at all the things related to that, and we are reminded that there are times when fighting is necessary. There are times when evil must be overcome. There are times when we must do whatever needs to be done so that good may prevail. Now, I want to be be honest. There are times when fights, even wars, have been undertaken for wrong purposes. But any time when good opposes evil, right purposes are being fulfilled. This morning, we're going to see not only do we sometimes fight not only are we called to fight for good and right we're going to see this morning that we have a God who fights as well and a God who fights for good purposes and for good reasons this morning we're continuing the book of Job now I mentioned to you hopefully I I remember every single Sunday we're trying to read through the Bible together as a church body and if you've been reading through the Bible with us then by now, you've made it into the book of Job. You'll finish the book of Job actually uh, next Sunday or Monday. I don't require, recall which one. but um, So you're into the book of Job, and, and you're, you're beginning to capture this whole big picture of what it looks like for the Bible to, to, to begin making sense. Now, I reminded you last week that what? That Job is not chronologically in order with where we have it recorded in our scriptures. In other words, chronologically, Job is maybe the oldest book of the Bible. We obviously understand that the creation accounts in Genesis precede the book of Job. But as far as the chronology of when the book of Job takes place, the book of Job is, is, is in line with the, the, the patriarchs and things of the scriptures. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we, we come to this book of Job, and we've, we saw last week... That Job suffered, and Job suffered not necessarily for any fault of his own, but Job suffered ultimately for God's glory. Job suffered so that God would be glorified. This morning, I want us to wrestle with the question, not why does Job suffer? I want to ask this question, why does God fight? Why does God fight? Let me give you a hint. God fights because God is graceful gracious, loving, and kind. And we're going to see that as we work these things out this morning. The first thing this morning we see is that God fights for our attention. Now, the, 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 the greatest danger in the language that I'm using this morning is that some of you would walk away believing that God had to fight for us, that, that God was compelled. I want to remind you, if you don't know, or if you do know already, and tell you if you don't know already, that God fights not because God has to, but because God chooses to. God is under no compulsion to do anything for us other than God's own good will and graciousness. God fights for our attention not because God needs our attention, but because we need to redirect our focus. God is not a needy child pitching a temper tantrum. He is a loving, gracious father who is willing to fight with us for our own good. This is a God who bends his knee to get down on our level. And here we see Job answer the Lord. Notice what we see in Job chapter 42 verse 5. I had 
heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now, the last four chapters of Job are consumed with God extolling his glory. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But why does God do this? One of the reasons is because God wants to get Job's attention. God loves Job enough to redirect Job's focus. God wrestling with Job was not for the purpose of destroying Job, but of healing Job. Look at the way that God gets his attention. Turn back to Job 38, verse 1. The Bible says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Turn on over to Job chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. We've got God coming before Job and saying, Job, you're pretty big. Job, you seem to know a whole lot. Job, you you act like you got it all figured out. God says, Well, Job, here I am. Give me all you got. Job, since you're so smart, tell me. When the bases of the world were sunk, when the foundations were created, Job, where were you? Job had spent an entire book extolling his goodness and God's wrong. Do you realize that? Over and over, Job's friends had come and Job had said, they said, Job, you're suffering because you're obviously a really messed up guy. You've taken advantage of the poor. You've done this and this and this. And Job keeps going, no, 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 I'm not what you say I am. Job even goes so far in Job chapter 9 and said, look, If I could just get face to face with him and plead my case. God just doesn't understand me. I don't deserve all of these things. And what's funny is that Job hasn't necessarily misunderstood his action. The Bible says God in Job chapter 1 said that, that, that Job was what? A blameless and righteous man. Job is telling the truth. The problem is that Job doesn't understand who God is. God is willing to wrestle with Job so that Job can have a a clearer understanding of who the Lord himself is. Job sees himself as the standard. Job believes to have all the answers and he wants to do what C.S. Lewis once called, put God in the dock. Job wants to put God on trial. As a matter of fact, if you turn to Job chapter 9, that's exactly what the effort is right there. I'm going to put him on trial. And let's see if he stands up to my question. Do you understand what happened? Job said what he was going to do, and then God showed up, and Job said, oh, you know what? Turns out maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Folks, God fights for our attention, and he does it not because he hates us, He does it because He loves us. God says, I need you to pay attention to who I am and to what's actually going on. And in these things, God is willing to do what maybe nobody else is willing to do. God fights for you because He loves you. Folks, when's the last time you fought for somebody that you loved? You went to battle for somebody that you loved? You fought for their attention? When is it? How many times have I struggled and wrestled with 
with marriages in turmoil that could be summed up in one thing. She didn't, he didn't fight for me. Folks, when's the last time you fought for the attention of the one that you loved? How does it make you feel to know that God loves you enough? God is great and mighty and holy, and yet God loves you enough to fight for you. He appeared to Job face to face. Job said, I had heard, but now I have seen. God fights for our attention. The second thing that God does is he fights for our protection. Look with me, and it should be right there on the same page. Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, Eliphaz the Temanite rather, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So, so Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. God didn't just fight for Job's attention. God fought for Job's protection, and God fought for Job's reputation. God didn't have an appropriate, God didn't, Job didn't have an appropriate view of God, but Job's friends didn't have an accurate view of Job or of his suffering. Consider God's words to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 20. This is actually just what Buster read to you just a moment ago. This is the Israelites, they've been brought out of Egypt, they're in the midst of the Exodus. And God says, when you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. God goes before us. Now, some of you might say, well, Craig, that was in the Old Testament. That was a specific example. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 if you'd like to, and you can look right there when Paul lays out the whole armor of God. And when Paul says to the Ephesians that they are to take up the armor of God, he says it this way, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We have a God who fights for us, who goes ahead of us, who defends us. Even when we find ourselves in the midst of the battle, we are urged not to do it in our strength, but in His strength. God fights for you. And folks, this isn't just an old school sort of idea. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. I don't always ask you to turn, but you ought to turn here. And if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, if you're one of those underlining people, you might want to underline this verse in your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, I believe it's in verse 1, says this, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is this idea of an advocate? What is this advocacy? Yes, this is the God who saves us, but not just the God who saved us, but the God who is constantly saving us. The God who is constantly interceding for us on our behalf. He says, when you do sin, there is an advocate. Do you realize that? Not when you do sin, God turns his back. If you do sin, there is an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
How is it that this happens? When we sin, Jesus is an advocate interceding on our behalf. Jesus rises up and defends your cause based not on your merits, but on the merits of his own suffering and death. Folks, we live in a world where people need to know that the Lord fights for them on their behalf. And and let me just say this as well. If God fights for us, and if God fights for the hurting and the oppressed, how much more should we be interceding on behalf of those who are hurting and oppressed? Job's friends were reprimanded because when Job found himself in a bad place, rather than sitting with Job, comforting Job, supporting Job, and helping Job, they continued to throw Job in a hole. They continue to throw dirt over Job. They continue to throw shade over Job. And God says, you did not get it right. Part of us being God's people, representing God well in the world around us, should include our advocacy of the hurting And the outcast. Folks, it's been said that the church is one of the only institutions that shoots her wounded. The Bible says that when you sin, there is an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Christian, when is the last time that you saw your brother or sister in sin and your heart melted with grace and mercy and you picked them up? You put your arm around them and you helped them? When's the last time that somebody fell and rather than cast them aside, you surrounded them? Some really sad statistics that have come out of the pandemic. Two in five people in churches across the United States said that somebody from their local church reached out to them in the midst of a pandemic. Two in five, that means three in five had nobody reach out to them. Unless you throw yourself a pity party, how about this? Only two in five people reached out to anybody, and three in five people reached out to nobody. These are regular churchgoers, according to surveys. 60% of folks in the walls of a regular local church did nothing in the midst of a pandemic to reach out to their brothers and sisters in Christ. When's the last time you called somebody in the midst of their suffering and said, I want to be there for you, I want to help you? I want to hold you. I want to encourage you. We have a Father who cares for us. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is our advocate even when we sin. We have a God who fights for us. I'm not entirely sure how we created this sort of idea, but there has been this idea that as Christians, we have to be really careful that we don't create a bad name for ourselves When there's wrong happening in the world around us. Folks, let me tell you something. If the people of God don't stand up for right when there is wrong, we have no hope that the right will ever be defended. The people of God have got to stand up for what is right. And I'm not not in this moment talking about those things that are politically motivated. I'm talking about the hurting people in the pews beside you. I'm talking about the kids that are getting picked on in your school. Teenagers. Parents, I'm talking about you standing up for the children you know who are being taken advantage of, even when it's not your own. 
That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us standing up for what is right, defending the cause of Christ. Oh, we can get so jacked up and excited if we're going to fight something that's easy, right? Oh, the news said this, and we're going to be angry, and I'm going to post these things. When's the last time that you got your hands dirty, potentially marred your reputation because you fought for somebody who was outcast or hurting or alone? If the people of God are not willing to stand up and to step in and intercede, what hope do we have? God fought for Job's protection. God went to those who had maligned Job and the Lord said, You will make this right. Christian, when's the last time you stepped out of the gossip circle and engaged in truth-telling? When? When's the last time that you got that phone call and you said, I'm not going to engage in this conversation because I'm more concerned for the person that you're talking about than what you're saying. If God fights for our protection, then folks, as image bearers of God, we have a responsibility to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. And can I just say this to you today? If you're here today, and it seems that the whole world has turned against you, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And though all hell may buffet against you, Jesus Christ will stand strong and secure. And Satan may have the first word, but make no mistake, when your advocate stands up, he will have the last word. And the powers of hell shall not prevail against him. Stand confident in Christ because our God fights for our protection. And finally this morning, I say finally like we're getting near this end. Y'all don't, don't get too excited. Our God fights for his own glory. Now listen. The last four chapters of Job are really a defense of God's glory. Don't miss that. Maybe greater than any other place in all the Bible. We just have God sort of going on and on and on. If, I mean, there, there, there's not this big run-on sentence like we see in Colossians, but it's almost like you would see it begin, and there'd be just like four chapters of run-on sentence without anybody taking a breath. This is God extolling His greatness. God painting a picture of his glory. He says, Job, you think you know something? He says, Job, actually, let me tell you a few things. Why does God fight for his own glory? The first thing is because God deserves glory. Let's never, ever miss that. God deserves glory. Why does God deserve glory? Because God alone has created all things. God alone is all-powerful. If God doesn't get the glory, something else will get the glory. And if something else gets the glory, the thing that is receiving the glory is wrongly, wrongly focused. Does that make sense? See, we, we will either worship Him or something else. When God redirects our focus toward Him, God in grace is saving us from idolatry. 
Either God created it all or something else or somebody else or somewhere else created it all. God says to Job, you think you're so smart? God says, I did it. Where were you, Job? Parents, how much fun is it when you get to say, have these conversations with your children, right? Be honest. Y'all, some of y'all are trying to be holier than me. I know good and well how much you enjoyed it, right? Let me tell you, Daddy. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Let's have a conversation. <laughs> I've been where you are. I paid for the hot water, you know? God deserves glory, but, but watch this. Our lives are better when we understand His glory. What else are we going to give praise and honor to? However, watch, it isn't until we appreciate His glory, majesty, and grandeur that we can see the goodness of His heart. You see, some people get so caught up in the glory of God, and we speak of God's glory, they get frustrated because they say, well, well God's number one objective isn't His own glory. It's, it's the salvation of souls. And they say, God can't be that self-centered. Folks, the reason that we get so frustrated, or some people do, is because they've missed this most important part. That when God proclaims His own glory, He is displaying His goodness toward us. It isn't until we can appreciate His glory, majesty, and grandeur that we can see the goodness of His heart. Why? Because in grace, God comes to Job and He says, Job, here's who I am. And what is Job's response? I had heard of you, but now I have seen you. Job says, I had heard something about you, but God, you have now visited me. When's the last time the president visited your house? Has that ever happened to you? He doesn't visit me. It doesn't matter which one's in office, what political party he's a part of. He doesn't care who I am. He never ever came knocking on my door and said, hey, Craig, I just wanted to come and you know what, I heard you, you, you didn't vote for me or you did vote for me. I just wanted to come and say, hey, this is who I am. And maybe next time we could have a different conversation. I could say, you know, I had heard about you, but now that I've met you, I've got a different opinion of who you actually are. You know, he never did that to me. Didn't matter which one. And yet the God of the universe appears to Job. And the God of the universe says, hey, Job, let me tell you who I actually am. And the Bible says that Job just stands there kind of dumb. The Lord said, stand up like a man and I'm about to show you something. And Job's like, oh, how about if I just sit down? Would that be okay, Lord, if I just got out of the way? And then God just begins to dress him down, right? But you know what Job, what God doesn't do? He doesn't say, Job, you're bad, you're mean, you're ugly, you're bad, you're wrong. God says, where were you when I? God's always focusing the attention back to himself. This isn't condemnation, this is conviction. Not you're so bad and awful. No, I'm so great and mighty. God allows Job's own heart to handle the rest. Job had heard of him, but it was not until he saw him, not until Job observed God come down to him, until Job observed God humble himself enough to communicate with this lowly, prideful man 
Did Job understand God's goodness, God's kind, gentle heart? One of the things that we have to avoid when we speak of God's grace is that we don't speak of it only in this academic fashion. That I don't speak, or excuse me, of God's glory. That I don't speak of God's glory only in a way so that you can go home and say, well, that was a pretty good sermon. I got lots and lots of notes. Because you see, ultimately, it's not God's glory that, that draws us into a relationship with Him. It's God's heart. It's the goodness of God's heart. You see, when we, when we begin to grasp something of God's glory, we, this crazy thing happens. God begins to grow and we begin to shrink. But when that happens, the real beauty is that we begin to appreciate the incredible love that this God must have for us. The incredible, passionate, and compassionate heart that this God must have towards us. Because we recognize how big and holy and mighty He is. And how small, sinful, and insignificant we are. We begin to grasp and appreciate that this God must love me more than anything I could have ever imagined. That if he as great and holy and mighty as he is would come and reveal himself to me as small, insignificant, and sinful as I am, he must really, really love me. And he must really, really love you. When the Lord appeared to Isaiah... In Isaiah chapter 6, we'll get there. We don't have the Lord appearing to a lot of people. You've got to keep that in mind. Okay? Job gets it. Isaiah gets it. Moses got it. Abraham sort of got it. Elijah just got a whisper of it. We don't have the Lord appearing to a lot of people. But one thing happens over and over and over again. A lot of them have a lot to say until God shows up. Years ago, that song, I Can Only Imagine, was a big big thing in the church. And I can only imagine what I'll do when I stand before him. And, and, and I think for the most part, the song gets it right. But I always, as I thought about that, I, I, what would I say to the Lord? I'm pretty sure I'm not going to say much. And, by, and, and I talk a lot. It's not funny. What am I going to say? Isaiah actually can talk, can't he? The Lord shows up and Isaiah says, Hey God, i got a few things I need to talk to you about. How many people have said that to you? When I see the Lord one day, there's a few things I want to ask Him. Careful. He might show up. In the, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, Isaiah said. And when the Lord showed up, Isaiah didn't say, God, um, this whole Uzziah thing looks kind of scary. I'm a little concerned. God, if if you could just listen, I'd like to get things worked out. I I don't know who I'm going to be working for. No, 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 no. The Lord appears before Isaiah. The Bible says that the train of his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah didn't say, Lord, let me tell you something. Isaiah said, I don't have the kind of mouth that deserves to be in the presence of the Lord. Isaiah said, Lord, I know what's come out of this mouth of mine. 
Lord, I know what's come out of the mouths of the people around me. God, this is not a holy vessel. God, I'm just going to shut up and listen if that's okay with you, Lord. God doesn't quite let Job off the hook that easy. Job, God demands an answer. You imagine that? You imagine God standing in front of you and saying, Say something! <laughs> I just assume not. Where were you, Job? Job's like, <laughs> God said, All right, well, let me talk some more. Now, what you got? And we get to Job 42. And Job finally answers. And Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's quoting God's words back to him, which is a pretty safe thing if you're going to be in the presence of the Lord, just for the record. He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not speak, or which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. He said, God, I'm going to answer. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God had said he was holy and righteous. And yet in the presence of the Lord, he's repenting in dust and ashes. Repenting of what? Lord, I thought I knew it all. Somewhere around about 23, 24 years old, my dad became really smart. Y'all remember that? Some of you are old enough, that happened to you. There was a place in your life when all of a sudden your parents had been so unintelligent and then all of a sudden they started getting smarter by the day. It was somewhere around about the time a child was born. And you go, you know what? Maybe they weren't quite as ridiculous as I thought they were. God fights for His glory and that's a good thing. Because when God fights for his glory, God is fighting to restore the proper balance within the world. I began this morning with a reminder of D-Day. Now what you may not know is that victory on D-Day was not certain. There were so many moving parts. They had several days that had been set aside. Maybe you know enough history to know this, but... They weren't just dependent upon their own preparation. They were dependent upon the tides. They were dependent upon the weather. They had about three days a month when they could actually make this happen. And they had to make sure they had a full moon so they could see well enough. They needed clear skies so they could do all the bombing that needed to be done. It still didn't go the way they'd hoped. All these things had to fall into place. And then they really needed to hope and pray that the German generals would not believe that it was going to happen. Turns out that actually worked out. Believe it or not, God was in the midst of all those things because why? The general was away when all these things went. But General Eisenhower was supreme commander and he was leading the invasion. Ultimately, he would be the one human on the face of the planet who would say, go or stay. One person would make the decision as to whether or not it would take place. And so late on June the 5th, they decided they were going to go. They thought they had an opening in the weather. They are going to do all they could do. And Eisenhower said, we are going. And Eisenhower was a notorious letter writer. And Eisenhower sat down and he wrote two letters. One was the letter that would eventually become his radio speech declaring 
a degree of victory on D-Day. But the other was a short letter, a short letter written in case of failure. That letter says this, our landings in the Cherbourg, however, have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold and I've withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based upon the best information available. The troops, the air, and the navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. When the Allied forces invaded Normandy, the fight was necessary, but victory was not certain. The fight was necessary, but victory was very far from certain. Folks, I want you to know that when God chooses to fight, there is no doubt about the victory. He doesn't fight because he has to. He fights because he loves you. He fights because he wants you. It's an odd thing to consider this God who fights with us. We have very few examples of this in the scripture. But there is one that we'll turn our attention to as we close this morning. When the Lord appeared to Jacob in the wilderness, and it's in that place that he changed his name to Israel, and the Bible says that the angel of the Lord, and, and what we understand that to be is a, a, a pre-incarnate experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord appears to Jacob in the wilderness and he wrestles with Jacob. And the Bible says that Jacob clings to him and he fights and he seeks to overcome, he seeks to prevail. But finally, the angel of the Lord touches. Touches. Now that's... It's an incredible thing to consider. Now, we read that and we go, how is it possible that man would contend with God and prevail? But the Bible doesn't say that the angel of the Lord body slammed Jacob. It doesn't say that he put him in some kind of special chokehold or something. The Bible says that he just touched his hip. He didn't hit him with a stick or a bat or a sword. He touched his hip and it came out of joint. The Bible says that with one touch, the angel of the Lord crippled Jacob for life. The Bible says that Jacob held on and said, I'm going to hold on until you bless me. Jacob knew he was beat. He knew that he was beat. But he was satisfied to be defeated by the Lord because he knew that brokenness from the Lord brings victory in the world. Folks, I want you to know that God fights for His glory and for your good and for the good of the world. And if it seems like the whole rest of the world has turned its back on you, the Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to receive you today. That He fought sin's curse on the cross of Calvary. That He overcame death, hell, sin, and the grave for you. And that today he stands at the right hand of the Father as an advocate for all of those, even those of us who would fail him, interceding on our behalf. Christ fights for you. He loves you. In Job chapter 9, 
verse 33. Job has laid out his case. Now this verse is special to me because about 10 years ago I was in a losing debate with a Muslim guy in London. And by losing, I mean I was struggling to keep up. And the guy thought he had me. He backed me into a corner as he, he wrestled with God's law. And I was honestly hanging on for dear life in the midst of this debate. He said, there's no need for Jesus because the Old Testament gives us everything that we need. And he went to the law and he tried to prove his point. And for everybody around, he seemed to have proved his point. And, and there was a pretty great confidence that he had finally bested me with about 50 people watching. And as I'm hanging my head, knowing that I'm beat, the Lord gave me this. And i got to give him credit because I'm pretty sure it wasn't for me. I looked at that guy and said, what about Job? He said, what about Job? What does Job have to do with Jesus? And what Job has to do with Jesus is wrapped up in Job chapter 9, verse 33. And in some of your translations, the Bible says it this way, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Job says God is holy and mighty, and if I wanted to go face to face with him, what hope do I have? But if you look down at the bottom of your footnotes, there's an alternate translation. See, in the Hebrew, what we get is actually a hope and a prayer. Would that there were an arbiter. Job says, I'm losing against the old Almighty, but if only there was somebody that could stand in the gap. Would that there were, and praise God, there is today. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Who stands as an arbiter, a go-between, an advocate with the Father. When we do sin, He fights on our behalf. Are you here today? And you need somebody that will fight for you. Can I tell you that Jesus will fight for you today? Jesus has fought for you today. Jesus will stick closer than a brother. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. I want you to know that no matter how hard your life feels today, no matter how hard your life is today, God loves you right where you are. And He will never, ever leave you. Not never. He's going to always be there. I want to invite you today to trust Christ as your Savior. To have one who will fight for you. If you're here today, though, and you say, Craig, I, I'm a Christian, but I am just beat down. I'm beat up. I'm tired. I'd love to pray with you today to remind you that you're not alone. And believer, if you're here today and you know of a friend, a loved one, a neighbor who's in the midst of a struggle, I want to invite you today to pray for those in those struggles. To pray for those in those fights. Some of you may need to pray, Lord God, forgive me. Because I've seen my neighbor attacked and I've not stood in the gap. I haven't looked much like Jesus. 
I've not been an advocate to my friend, Lord. I turned my back. I don't know exactly what you need, but I know that Jesus is enough. And when I invite you today to trust Christ to be all that you need. This altar is open for you to pray. I'd love to pray with you. And if today you need to come and say, I need Jesus as my Savior, I'd love to pray with you or induce you to somebody that could lead you to Christ so that you might find hope with our advocate. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I pray that you'd be at work among us. Thank you that you love us in spite of our sin. That even when we sin, Father God, you go to work advocating on our behalf. Not because of our righteousness, but Lord God, because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.